No. Monsieur Ian. Bien. Ça va. Bon. Bon. I'm bon. Bon. Vous êtes bon? Un bon. Intéressant. To the Tour Daily Podcast, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fretz, and it is the well, it's the evening after the foie finish. What is it, stage 16? Yeah, I was I just know. about to ask you, go on, Kaylee. Tell us which number <laughs> stage it is and what date it is. Stage uh, 16. It's stage 16. I don't know what the date is. It Tuesday, is 19th of Tuesday, July. though, because we just had a rest day. It was on Monday. And, well, you just, you, the scene has somewhat been set already by the, the uh, restaurant discussion. Ian. Continue to set the scene for me, please. Okay, so we are in the back courtyard of a brasserie attached to a motel. It's very nice. I like all of the people here, and yeah. I like their chickens that are pecking around between our feet. I like their... Uh, you called it a jungle gym. I'd just call it a playground, like a child's playground. A swing set. Swing set. Swing S- set swing is set. The, yeah, the correct term. But there's also a slide. I think you're underselling it to call it a swing set. No, but that's the set part. Yeah, it's, it's not just swings. Otherwise, it's just a slide. The swing and the set. I think we can agree it's definitely not a jungle. (laughs) There's also a a big zucchini patch. There's some... um, Uh, Sorry, a what? Zucchini. Oh, sorry. Courgettes, Johnny. Do do the Australians call it zucchinis? What do you call them? A courgette. Like a regular person. Not like a regular person. You're a maniac. Uh, Also like the French. Yeah. And Uh, where are we in? Don't yuck someone else's yum. Sorry. (laughs) You said that at least four times this time. Don't yuck someone else's what now? I don't think I've said it on the podcast, so this is fresh content to the listeners' ears. I hope it's fresh. <laughs> I think it's... anything I do is stale content. I, I, I don't think I've made a single piece of fresh content. <laughs> uh, any other scene setting you need to do, Ian, before uh, the, we move on? The beer had ice cubes in it, it did. which I didn't hate because it, we've spoken uh, yeah. a lot about the heat recently, but it remains heat. I'm kind of disgusted with myself that I didn't hate the ice in the beer. It was good. It was kind of good. Yeah, I kind of liked it. Can we get into the bike racing? Perhaps. Fine. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Must we? I mean, you know, we like we've heard from our listeners out there, and and we hear that you you enjoy our banter casts. Uh, we we are worried for you. <laughs> we are slightly worried for you, uh, but we also appreciate the kind words. There there have been. Now this is the difficulty: is that we're we're pulled in two directions on occasion. We do want to talk about the bicycle race and the things that happened today, because it was a pretty damn good stage and the first of what promises to be three phenomenal stages, I think. But a bit of banter here and there does not go amiss. So let's get into the bike race. Uh, Johnny, your job: tell me what happened in stage 16 on the way to Foix. Which is where we are right now. One by the breakaway, Hugo Ull, who's a, a, a man from Quebec. A Quebec? Quebec? Quebec. Quebec. Well, we call, we call Ke- them Quebecers in America and they call themselves Quebecois. Quebecois. Back to the stage. Back to the stage. So, Hugo Ull, one. Yep. Le Canada. Does it count? Well, later maybe we can discuss if it counts as a French stage. Or no, is that, I think they we, would be. Who would be angry about that? Everyone. Everyone. Everyone would okay. be angry about that. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, just to be clear, I grew up about 45 minutes away from Quebec and have some 
knowledge of the the Quebecois You've people. You've been sharing your knowledge over dinner. <laughs> and what? some opinions. <laughs> some opinions, sure. Let's, let's call them opinions. Um, in second place, which I only just found out looking at the result sheet, Van, Valentin Madwas. I was excited for that one. Uh, Where did he come from? <laughs> behind. It, there, were, there were two FDJ people. Yeah, um, they were in the chase, but they were quite far back. Yeah, well, then, but then he Matteo Jorgensen crashed, and, and he did, Mike yeah. Woods had very little interest in so chasing waited. his own teammate, and so kind of just hung out for a while. And then the two of them, so Jorgensen got back on, and then the two of them got caught kind of at the last minute by Maduas, which ruined what I think would have been the first ever hmm. North American top three, North American like podium sweep. Apparently there was a U.S. Postal one and three. That's the closest it's ever been before in 98 or 2003. I don't know why those two years have And that's what we got today, I think. Yeah. But yeah. an Israel Premier Tech one. Yes. Yes, as well. Um, Which was exciting for them. I mean, I mean, this is a team that we were talking about potential relegation battle before the Tour de France, and they will come out of this tour with, uh, well, minimum two stage wins. Uh, that's pretty darn good. And, well, and a third today. So that's lots of points. Another interesting detail for our Canadian listeners is that in... 1988 was the last Canadian Tour de France stage win with Steve Bauer, who, coincidentally enough, happened to be the director sportif for Israel Premier Tech today. He was very happy at the finish line. Yes, they were all the all the staff were sort of taking turns to like pick each other up in celebration outside the team car they were and quite, increasing quite bear huggy, very bear huggy, mm. which I don't have a opinion either way on that. To be honest, it was <laughs> on uh, the old bear hug. it was almost too intimate to watch you but thought there we were i found it quite heartwarming did you, did you, were, you were you sickened by the sight of uh sickened no no not at all <laughs> celebratory canadians i was sickened. very happy for them i was happy for them they were happy for themselves what's they to were. complain about johnny nothing mike woods finished third matteo jorgensen fourth first and third for canadians yep and israel amazing yeah Matteo Jorgensen fourth. He said he's sick of getting fourth places. He's finished fourth on stage ten, fifth on stage thirteen, fourth on stage sixteen, and he was he was pissed at the finish. He also just was done. And he fell down. He fell down. That sucks. Big crash. You have to think that the owner of uh, Israel Premier Tech, a Canadian Israeli, yeah. Sylvan Adams, was very pleased with all of that. He, yeah. It couldn't really have gone any better for them today. Well, one and two. Yeah. Well. I guess it could have gone, yeah. <laughs> could have gone one, sorry, two better. Sorry, sorry I, just, I forgot my sense of humor for a minute there. And just yeah, there we go. Yeah, one and one and one and two would have been better than one and three. Yes, that is that's, that's absolutely correct. Yes, uh, the various other breakaway uh, remnants following after that. Vlasov was in there. One minute forty down, made up five places on GC. He's up to eighth now. Three places, yeah, well, up to eighth. Six minutes, 18 down. At one point, he was two or three minutes behind. Can I lodge a complaint? With who? Movistar. Oh, yeah, but but they were at the finish. When I was waiting outside the bus for Matteo Jorgensen, they were, like, dapping each other up. Like, they just won the stage. And I think that's just how they end every single day. Can I lodge a secondary complaint? Yes. Yes. Their car ran over a cameraman outside the Israel <laughs> Premier Tech bus. Do you think that's jealousy or just um, accidental? Just poor driving. Okay. <laughs> My complaint is that, and we were sitting in the press room talking about this, how many times has Movistar kind of messed up like the fun and excitement of a bike race because they were protecting seventh place 
too many. I think the greater crime is Enric Mast has a tan line because he's shaved his head now, which I didn't really realise, and he's got tan lines going like the vents in his bike helmet all the way across, and it just looks looks like he's been held upside down on a, a barbecue grill, <laughs> and it's very distracting when you're waiting for Matteo Jorgensen. Yeah, my complaint stands. Uh, there are numerous other examples, but today specifically, they spent a fair amount of time sort of holding everything together to make sure that Enric Mas, and then Enric Mas went off the front for a little while, holding everything together while Enric Mas, you know, continued to race for six or seven. What, 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 what is he? What's his GC now? You've got it pulled up. I've got it pulled up. He is. Oh, he's eleventh. <laughs> Fell one place today. But 12, so it's not down. even protecting six or seven. But He's it could be so much worse. 11th. It could be so much worse. Remember the days when we could not say who the Movistar leader was? That's very true. The leader of the Movistar classification was whoever was in the Movistar jersey. <laughs> but it's, my, my issue with it is like they stick a bunch of guys in the front today. And at a, at, a, at a moment where for the good of the bike race, absolutely nobody should be helping Yumbo Visma. No. Absolutely nobody for the sort of excitement of the bike race, and they stick four dudes on the front to protect 11th. It drives me up the wall. Obviously. And I, I, I hate this sort of negative racing that creeps into the Tour de France, and in particular in the last week. It, it's bound to happen 7th, 6th, 8th, 9th, 10th. They're all valuable places, so you're going to see it. It's just it's frustrating when you're, you essentially just want this mano-a-mano battle, and the only way you're going to get that is if Yumbo starts to tire and Vingegaard is 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 left solo, and Movistar is preventing that from happening. The real interesting battle is fourth at the minute between Nara Quintana and David Godou, where they're separated by nine points. So I think that's going to be the one that really starts to grip the the real Tour de France purists as we head towards the end. I don't the time trial between those two for fourth is going to be <laughs> insanely good. I don't know if we spent enough time talking about about Quintana and Godou here. I, I mean, so Gadu, Gadu, because we're we are watching over here. We're watching French television oh, all the yeah, time, yeah. so we get <laughs> we get Gadu group all the time. So we, <laughs> the yellow jersey could be in the Gadu group, and it would still be called the Gadu group. There was a sprint finish the other day, and there was a pack of French journalists just gathered around the Gadu bus <laughs> to talk about Gadu, and uh, they seemed fine with that. I wasn't, but they were. <laughs> Were you protesting there? Uh, I wasn't protesting. I wanted my weird Stefan Kung angle. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we get we get the Gadu group. Uh, but I, I, Quintana is another, I think, fascinating bit of narrative from this Tour de France, which is, mm-hmm. I mean, how old is Quintana now? 30, oh, I'm going to say two. Check me. I'm trying. Corrections I'm really trying. It, it, real-time corrections corner. 32, yes. Ah, nailed it. Nailed it. Quintana's 32. And yeah, he's sort of ne- probably reaching near the end of his of his GC career. He no longer enters these tours de France as a heavy favorite of any sort. Really, uh, you know, he's a, he's a one or two star guy when there are a whole bunch of three, four, five star kind of riders. And the fact that he's sitting in fourth right now, he's having a, a phenomenal race with really basically two good days for him remaining. He's been extremely consistent. I like to see it. I mean. I think I will always have a soft spot for him because of 2013 on Mont Ventoux, him versus Chris Froome was one of the sort of most exciting final 15 minutes that I have seen in Tour de France. And I absolutely loved it. And watching him collapse on the top as what, a 20, 
2013, he would have been a 21-year-old, uh, 22-year-old. Young. He was first first time 22. Tour de France rider. Uh, collapsing on the top of the Vontu. And it just sort of like, it hit me in a way that, 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 that sport does, right? The way that sport, that sport can kind of stick with you for a very long time if you witness something kind of spectacular. And for me... Quintana will always kind of be that, and so I'd, I'd just like to see him up there. And he hasn't aged a day since. <laughs> in fact, I think he's gotten younger. All whilst riding for one of the worst teams in the race, which makes <laughs> yeah. it even more impressive. Yeah, I think the only two teams you will defend is the Men in Glass and the Bora Boys. <laughs> I, I think the Men in Glass are a worse team than Arkea Samsic. What should be with Arkea Samsic? They've got Hugo Hofstetter and his nice dog. Yeah, and, and, uh, and Wawa, 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 maybe a dick, oh, yeah. may, has COVID. <laughs> <laughs> I love it how jo Josh has been, like, interspersed in these podcasts when we were doing a more serious one, and then when we, like, sort of say something quite left field, he'll just look over with his eyes like, you guys should not be speaking like this in front of other people. And it's the first time I've felt nervous in three weeks on this bike race. Did I ever actually introduce you guys at the beginning of this podcast? Oh, sorry. You as I'm, well, and Johnny. I'm Ian Trelaw. I'm yeah. nothing but trouble. <laughs> Really, that's how you introduced yourself to me when uh, we met a couple of weeks ago. So it's nice to know you're consistent. It, Ian sounds like he's introducing himself on blind date. <laughs> Some other notable storylines from today. Uh, we talked a little bit about Jorgensen and the fact that he was, well, he was close to contesting and then crashed. Did anybody have a chance to speak with him today? Yeah, he was, he was pretty... What's the word? Just quiet. Didn't want to come back out of the bus after he'd gone into the bus already, but was kind of forced to by TV people who wanted to hear from him. He said that this was probably the last day he had to get in the break again. because he has had a number of goes this tour. And there was basically a half opportunity, whereas if everything was quiet in the GC group, he was allowed to sort of... Set, well, the GC group sensed if it was going to be a quiet day, then he was allowed to go up, and he did. But he said, he, you know, fourth place doesn't mean anything to him anymore, which is kind of tough to hear but he's like I'll, I'll be back next year so it's kind of it's it must be tough having 11 months to wait until your next go at something you really want he's it's interesting as as an american cyclist uh he hasn't sort of fully hit the american consciousness yet and granted i have been away from the u.s for a couple of weeks now and i'm i haven't been watching the nbc broadcast in the u.s and so i don't really know whether that's changed since I left the U.S. a couple weeks ago, but he, he's he sort of he still kind of flies under the radar, and, and he really shouldn't because he's a he's a phenomenal rider. I mean, he's a guy who, who has almost won a couple stages already this tour. And just to be very clear, you know, you've got you've you've got essentially 150 well, it was 156 riders left, maybe 130 riders who have done just absolutely nothing this entire Tour de France. And so to be one of the names that keeps popping up means that you are an exceptional, exceptional rider at this tour. And we keep hearing about him. And I think that, that if he isn't already, he needs to sort of hit the American mainstream cycling consciousness because he's going to be a big deal over the next couple of years. But for American cycling, it's kind of a weird bounty right now. There are He is one of the notable American cyclists here. But, you know, it's tough for him to overtake a guy like Sepp Kuss right now, who is out there protecting the yellow jersey every day. Yep. It's tough for him to overtake even a guy like Nielsen Paulus, who is in half the breaks and out there challenging for the polka dot jersey, although I don't think his plan came together today <laughs> because Gesh is actually really good at this. Yep. Um, 
Yeah, or, or 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 Quint Simmons, who has been in a huge number of breaks this entire this entire month, and then shaved his beard today, confusing everybody. And when he's not on the front, and when he's not in the break, he's on the front. He's yeah. just extremely visible, but slightly less visible now. Ian, very confusing. We uh, we were in the press room in Foix, a very hot shed, and. A, a gymnasium, a, a greenhouse. Greenhouse, that's yeah. probably the best terminology for it. Like a sports greenhouse. It's terrible. And the TV screens showed a Trek Sigafredo rider that none of us had ever seen before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and a ripple went through the press room. Who's that? Who, who is this strange man? And we racked our brains and then, uh, and then I think Johnny was the we one. We went through eight available options. <laughs> eight available options, many of them dark Is Jacob Eggholm subbed in? <laughs> no. It wasn't Tony Gallopin. It wasn't Tom Squinch. Uh And as it turns out, it was Quinn Simmons with a, with a shaved face. It was eerie. It was, how it I was weird it. because it was he has never not had a beard in the time that he has been on our radar. He had a beard as probably like a 16-year-old winning Junior Worlds. Yeah. He was one of those kids that I think at high school was just like everywhere he went had the, the, the waft of Lynx Africa, Axe Africa for our international listeners. You think uh, he was the size he is now since he was about 13? I believe that to be the case. I reckon so. I don't actually know, and he's from my hometown. But to Kaylee's point, even Quinn Simmons in disguise appears to be more notable than Matteo Jorgensen. Yeah. Which is, which is very strange. That's I, the mother star effect, though, isn't it? It's just like American riding for a Spanish team, which is just a weird vibe. And a movie star jersey is an invisibility, invisibility cloak. It really is. <laughs> Excuse me, I would say that he is now the number one redhead in the race. Who Jack is he Hague competing with? Crash Jack out. <laughs> <laughs> and then we've got Jorgensen right up there. And Stephen Kreiswijk is uh, also gone. Yeah. Uh, Quinn has a red beard. Had. <laughs> I wonder, do we, have we got to the bottom of why he did it yet? Was it, is it heat related? Is it as boring I, as that? I, I have, in fact. I, <laughs> I, 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 sent a me- <laughs> <laughs> I sent a message to Trek Segafredo and I asked... Was it to Love Island Jacob? It was to Love Island Jacob. Oh, and... Addressed and, um, as... Ian Hello, asked me before how we should address him. I was like, just call him the Love Island Jacob. So I sent a message to Love Island Jacob. Hello, if you're listening. Uh, asking what was going on with the beard. And he said, just need to find Love Island Jacob. Uh, I messaged him for the first time yesterday. Did you call him? Was, yes, I was instructed to uh, address him as Love Island Jacob how, and succeeded. How do you think he reacted to getting a message from the Wall Street Journal calling him Love Island Jacob? Like, that's when he, that's when it turns from like, this is fun to like, this has gone too far. I mean, it's the Wall Street Journal sports, though. You know, uh, when he receives uh, a message to Love Island Jacob from the International Cor- Criminal Court, <laughs> I think he'll take it differently. I think either way we can agree that anything the Cycling Tips podcast touch uh, just turned to turned to ruin. Uh, so Love Island Jacob said, "There's not much to tell. It's a bit warm out there," and he went for it, <laughs> which is a very good response. That's that's almost exactly how all the riders respond in their blow by blows after the stage. So we know where they've learnt their media lines from now. It's, it's also how most actions and decisions are described on Love Island. <laughs> or in life, really. Like, he it's just a bit went hot. for it. I, I just, just went, went for it. it. I didn't think, just went for it. I thought, I thought about it. I looked up. And it was a bit warm. It was a bit warm. <laughs> yes. My chin was hot. <laughs> <laughs> that chin was a bit of me, is how I think that they talk about it. If they like something, it can't be enough that you like it. It's described as, that's a bit of me. 
Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I, I know yeah, that you think you're. I know that you think you're hearing meat. But he's saying me. Bit it's of me. me. Oh. That's a bit of me. So I when you like that. something, it's a bit of me. So like, if you if if you fancy X person, X is a bit of me. Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> That is the first time I've heard it, and I hate it. You don't, you don't think we're going to popularise this in the same way we have Chebs, is what you're saying? I, Chebs is also, like, this, this tour is the first time I heard Chebs. Me too. I, I can't wait to hear what kind of phrases you come out with <laughs> in our hotel room, I've... where we are sleeping roughly 20 centimetres <laughs> apart tonight. But now that you've incepted it, I think we're about two days away from Ian saying, that Trek kit... It's a bit of me. Exactly. And I think I'm about five days away from my last ever tour podcast. And life. I'm about six days away from uh, from Johnny never wanting to speak to me again. <laughs> Let's return to the bike race. Uh, we, have a, we have a phenomenal GC battle shape. Not just shaping up, but already in... Ongoing. in it's ongoing. I mean, we... And, and I, I'll, I'll preface this with afterwards. Uh, one of the esteemed members of our traveling group is going to make a counter-argument, apparently, in, in to Curmudgeon this. Corner. In Curmudgeon Corner. Which is a great addition. <laughs> but but for, for now, for now, we're going we're gonna to run off the assumption that this is a pretty phenomenal bit of bike racing, which is we've got one and two who cannot drop each other. It, it seems. And we've got this sort of whole dynamic of their teams behind them where we've got Yomba Visma losing key riders where, you know, basically they're down to just Sepp Kuss in the high mountains. We, we've got UAE who lost Solaire today who's basically down to... He was vomiting and got told to get in the car. And he wouldn't. And he wouldn't and he finished outside the time limit. Uh, poor guy. So we, we lost... Well, we didn't lose Solaire. UAE lost Solaire. So basically, Pogacar is down to Rafa Micah and Brendan McNulty, basically. He's basically AG2R, which is down to three riders at the moment. Poor AG2R is down to three riders. That's a separate topic. I want to talk about Pogacar and Vigago, which, what did we see today? We saw Pogacar go relatively early, and often he attacked a whole bunch of times on that first Cat 1. Kind of dialed it back a little bit on... The Mur de Piguer, possibly because Sepp Kuss was I doing such so. a good job of, of setting a tempo, uh, which is part of the reason why it's really important that Sepp Kuss is up there with, with Jonas Vingago. But we saw them go for it, and I think we're going to see some crazy stuff over the next two days. Well, and the, the, the first thing is that it's very exciting to see them so active on that the, the first of the two climbs. A but long way out. A long way out, and we were all sitting there in, the, in our second river in two days because it's so hot. Watching the bike race, just looking looking at each other from quite a distance, like this is this isn't supposed to happen. This is exciting and fun. Um, what struck me was how easily Vingo waited for the attack to sort of ease off and then just very casually ride back up to Pagacha. I would counter that with the fact that I think Pog could keep going over and over again. Like he he did three big accelerations, and I think that uh, yes. Vingegaard got back to him. Mm. But I think that I can see Ving, uh, I can see Pog accelerating more again. than that again and again and again. And my concern is that Vingegaard can't keep countering that. I think that... I think you're right. I think that I still think, I genuinely still think that Tadej Pogacar is the strongest rider in this race. But I think it's really close. And... There's some other sort of factors at play, right? Like, we're pretty sure that Vingago is about probably five or six kilos lighter than Pogacar. 
And so the steeper the climb, the more any of that that existing gap between abilities is is shrunk basically because because Vingo's weight starts to just play a, a larger factor, which you know the Hotakam has some steep stuff, but maybe means that if if Pogacar can use his acceleration to get away from Vingo, that 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 is a potential option. I, they're so close though; they are so close, and I think that's what makes the next couple of days so exciting. Because real realistically, Pogacar needs to take like a minute plus back to have any chance of winning this thing in the time trial. Like he probably needs to be within a minute and a half-ish, minute 40 on the high end uh, if he has a great day and Vingo has a has a kind of bad day, right? And if Vingo has a great day, he needs he needs to essentially be on, on almost even terms because I think that, honestly, Vingo on a good day probably comes close to matching Pogaccio on a good day in the time trial. So he needs a huge amount of time. He's, he's running out of days to do it. Another interesting factor that Johnny pointed out is that Geraint Thomas is on the right course, probably the better time trialer than the other two. How much better do we think, though? Well, How I much don't better think, over I that? Don't, I don't think better enough to get up to the lead, yeah. but there's not a lot of gap between him and Pogaccio. Yeah, if, seconds. Yeah, I think eight Songs seconds. Gile, though? <laughs> How much faster? Well, what if the gilet is somewhere else, If you is keep the not? gilet on for that, that length of time trial, do you stop to take it off? Yes. Which is more... Yes. <laughs> okay. That's my um, one proper bike racing question of the, of the episode. The, I disagree with that. I think Pogaccio is probably a better time trialist uh, at this point than Thomas is because he's just a stronger rider. Okay. And, and he's not a bad time trial. Like, riders who are bad time trialists, it's either because they are f sort of fundamentally unaerodynamic they're too long and too gangly and or whatever else and they just can't get into a good position or second option is they don't train in it enough so they can't produce the power in that position that's not true of any of the of the top riders at the moment the last one is they essentially don't have the the head for it uh because time trialing is incredibly difficult and requires intense is that concentration the movie star that's the movie star reason it's the Quintana reason right like it's 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 it, it requires intense concentration and and just sort of pain tolerance. Uh, most of them have pain tolerance, but it's the concentration levels that we're talking about. The Pierre Roland story that we were sort of talking about earlier in the race is a, is a perfect example of this, where guys just sort of lose focus, right? And it is it's really difficult to sit there and say, "I'm going to do 450 watts for the next hour." That is an incredibly difficult thing to do, and I don't I honestly don't think that any of those top three are deficient in that area. None of them are deficient really in terms of aerodynamics and none of them are, uh, they're, they're on roughly equal footing. And so I don't think that Thomas is gonna take any significant time back on, on any of them in that TT, possibly on Vingago again, because I think of the three, he should be the weakest time trialist. But again, if he's on the form of his life, then, then maybe not. Do you think tomorrow is the big day or the Holtecam stage? I think the the big day is whenever Pogacar can get a gap. Mm. Like if if he can get a gap for more than I mean, what did he he had a gap today for about ten seconds yeah. before Vingo came across it, where which looked kind of to me like Vingo was basically turning to Sepkus and saying, "Do you want to close it? No, okay, I'll close it." That that looked like the essentially the pause to me. Uh, yeah, it's whatever it's whatever day he can get a gap. I I think that. They're both, I mean, they're both uphill finishes. So 
at the very least, Pogacar will want to get time bonuses at the end. Yumbo Visma will be pretty keen to let a break go so that those time bonuses are, are, are eaten up. And the problem for UAE at this point, and this is, this is where the team comes in, the problem for UAE at this point is they are not going to be capable, particularly with Solergon, of holding a breakaway back to within within to, to stay close enough that Pogacar could take time bonuses. And so that that's a huge loss for them. I and mean, that's over these next two days, that's what, twenty seconds, right? Yeah. Um well, but less than that because Vingago would probably get some as well. But nonetheless, it's it's a it's it's actual seconds just straight down to team strength. Uh, it's impossible to say which day is going to be the one. Uh, chatted with the director sportif over at Yumbo this afternoon, and he basically said, "Yeah, like we 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 were expecting Pogacar to attack from the gun today, and so he actually attacked later than we were than we thought he was going to." Uh, I think it may have been a little bit in jest, but he said basically we're, we are we are expecting attacks at every possible moment over the next two days and i think that's what we should be that's that's what we should be expecting from and that's from why van art is just always waiting up the road yeah yeah I mean, yeah I mean, that, that's, that's why yeah that's why that's why they send those riders up the road right is is, is they need backup plans they need uh with josh and i were talking about this in the car today like it, you can almost think about a rider up the road in a breakaway as like a little little temporary boost button like you know if if if, if you have Wout van Aert and you have him up the road and he drops back and waits for Vingigo in a, a valley tomorrow that's like having a half hour boost button where you can just sit behind Wout van Aert and not use as much energy and go faster and close any gaps or get ahead or whatever that you wouldn't able, wouldn't have been able to do if whilst well, just out the back up the first climb. Somehow, despite all of this, <laughs> uh, Michael Better, our social editor, you you have concerns that the next couple of days are are going to be a dud. I do because he didn't get a gap today. Pogacar tried and didn't, and it reminded me of the 2010 tour, the duel between Andy Schleck and Alberto Cantador of the Tourmalet. And it was exciting and it was great racing. And yes, but Cantador just rode the wheel and Schleck never got a gap. Did you, did you just argue against yourself, though? It was exciting, great racing. It, it, no, the 2020, 2010 tour was fantastic, though. I mean, we, we had... Well, we, that, was a cha- that was a chain gate year. Uh... Fantastic racing that year. Those two of them dueling it, mano a mano, going up the mountain. I, I think that's that's the exciting thing about the next couple of days is that we don't know. And maybe maybe Pogacar will be unsuccessful and he will go into the final time trial with two and a half minute deficit, and then it'll, uh, frankly, it'll be over. But he will continue to try. I mean, that's the one thing about Pogacar that we know will happen is it, he will continue to try until the very last possible moment, which cannot be said of some other riders riding for seventh and things already but the problem is that 12 is a lot closer this is a 230 gap so we could get to the end of these next two days and be like up oh, well tour's over we're gonna ride into paris time trials nothing sprint day champs day but the tour is over then like the tour is usually over way before this it's nice that we're it's nice that we've got so far into it and we still don't know what can happen because so many times before it's been like oh well there we go. There's a universe where the tour could have been over at the first rest day. Yeah. You know, we thought, I think a lot of us thought, that once Pogacha took yellow, then that was it. He was just going to protect that all the way to Paris. And Well, correct me if I'm wrong here, but that was the first time he's ever lost yellow in the Tour de France? 
He's only had it yep. very briefly. I mean, in his first tour when he had yellow for like two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> well, the yeah. amount is the amount. Didn't Ian? You have the stat. You had the stat, or maybe Ronan, on how many days Tadej Pogacar actually worn his own trade team jersey in the tour, and it's something ridiculously small, and even smaller now. I didn't have that stat. Oh. <laughs> I had a different stat, <laughs> uh, which is an Give equally stat. compelling Give stat. Give us a stat. Uh, I have to remember now, this is like seven days ago. Uh, Tadej Pogacar has only once lost... Sorry, Tadej Pogacar has only once lost the leader's jersey of a stage race that he has competed in uh, without regaining it. Mm, which was? You're really testing me here. Was it Asturias? Or it was uh, one of the Spanish? Somewhere around there. <laughs> one of those. Yeah. Uh, Can we make predictions here? We we like a bit of speculation. There there are. Yeah, let's right, let's know. let's make some predictions here. So, we like a good prediction. We like a, a bit of speculation here. Well, let's 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 put our money on the on the table here. We, uh, will Tadej Pogacar end up? <laughs> Will Tadej Pogacar end up overhauling Jonas Vingago and winning this Tour de France? Ian? No, but he looked better today. Johnny? Yes, in the time trial. Josh? No, but the deficit will come down substantially. Mikey? Uh, what? No, I don't... Guys, I'm not... I thought, I'm, I'm, uh, Have an opinion. Will he do it? No. Will Will he over Will he overhaul Vingo? No. No. What about you, Kaylee? Mikey says that the gap will be over two minutes come the time trial. So that means basically no time regained. I think I'm actually kind of with Mikey here. I think that Jonas Vingo has shown absolutely zero sign of not being able to follow Tade Pogacar around. Pogacar does not have the team to pull any sort of other tactic. It needs to be straight mano a mano. And I don't think that he can do it. I I think that Jonas Vingo is going to win this Tour de France. And that's not something I would have said even probably a day or two ago. Would you have said that about Tade Pogacar before you saw him crack on Corsigano? Uh, you mean like if it was just a, it just a time gap without the crack or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. No, probably not. I mean, actually, although what really informs that more than anything is the fact that we, like Mikey said, we've seen him try, what like like eight times now, and he hasn't actually been able to to drop him. And what worries me is that they feel like those Pogacar attacks feel like, um, they feel like show attacks. And I think that that's part of the reason why Jumbo Visma is quite confident is they're seeing the same thing. They're seeing a rider who can, you know, do 800,000 watts for 25 seconds, but then slows right back down and, and, and gets caught by Garen Thomas, right, who's just been chugging along at, at 450 the entire time. And I think that they kind of know that even if Vingago ends up popping off they can probably just sort of tt up to the finish and and maintain a, a reasonable time gap if 
Pogacar was actually that much stronger than everybody else, as those as those sort of incredible attacks would would at first appear. I think that he would disappear off into the distance, and he's not. He's 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 slowing down and getting caught, not just by Vingegaard, but by everyone. I agree that uh, Vingegaard probably will win the tour, but I I think that if we're doing a like for like comparison, so Pogacar goes, Vingegaard follows, but the slowing that Pogacar does lets uh, Sepkus come back, or another well. There's probably not any your movies my people that's left, it but, uh, but if if Kuss has a bad day for example then it's just the two of them Kuss doesn't go back to the front to pace for a while then it's it's literally just the two of them left and then I think that uh, Pikachu can keep hitting more than I get the sense that being a Lord can I think it's gonna look great with the yellow Jesus white Jersey like it's just it's already an iconic sort of image that we've had. I think we could be in for some of the best couple days of Tour de France racing in in not just recent memory but like long memory. Uh, it's going to be you know like like P Cousins was talking about when we chatted with him the other day, Pogacar uses this this sort of tactical um strategy you know, the course on Tet, which is I go from the front and I and I push in the front. And I, and I he try bludgeons. To, yeah, he bludgeons. He tries to essentially push his opponents into failure. And he's going to continue to try to do that. And the only way that he can do that over the next couple of days is just to hit them over and over and over and over again until he either can't or it succeeds. And so I think that we're – I think that really like maybe the most likely situation here is that we, we end up with Pogacar even further down, maybe in third or fourth. Or he wins the bike race. Maybe, maybe that's the, maybe that's the real way that this ends, based on his personality. I don't know. Maybe he starts to protect second. I, I just, I can't see that happening. Uh, he's got less to lose as well. He's yeah, won, he's won, won two, two tours. Yeah, age twenty-three. He's gonna he'll have what, ten more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll, he'll win another one for sure. Uh, and like I said, I think the other day on, on the podcast, if if Vingegaard does win this. Can you just imagine how good the beginning of next year's tour is going to be when we've got two real superpowers coming I, at this thing? It, it's going to be – it's the first time it's been like that since, like, Lance Jan Ulrich. Like, I'm trying to think back to the, the last time we had matched. two evenly matched former In tour everything. champions coming at each other. It's it's been a fair amount of time since yes, it, it particularly even the match and everything. Sort of assuming that Vingo goes well in the time trial, it's been a while since we've had that. I just worry for Jumbo Visma approaching that stage twenty time trial in the other jersey. I just think it's gonna. How can you not think and how can you not dwell on that in the the sprint stage leading up the night before the morning of? Are you already having visions of of Jonas Vingegaard finishing with his helmet askance? Yeah, backwards. Yeah. <laughs> or around around his handlebars maybe. <laughs> Um, I mean, but what we were saying about Garen Thomas just kind of lurking back there um, and running his own race is that that could get him into second place. If, as you say, Kaylee, uh, Pogacar tries something that doesn't come off at all, Garen Thomas is only 21 seconds back. He's right there and just in a position to put up a very, very unlikely podium. I don't think anyone would have picked him for the podium three weeks ago well it's going to be and it's going to be a very sky podium right like he one thing that will not happen over the next two days is garrett thomas going on a flyer 
right? Yeah, he's just got to sit there and wait. And like, yeah, he, he's, but just, he's, he's admitted that himself. He's like, those two are level above me, but I just got to hang in there. And he said, you never know what's around the corner and anything yeah. can happen. And that could win you, that could win you the bike race. He's, uh, and he's just counting on maybe them, well, one of them or both of them essentially riding themselves out of the race. Yeah. yeah, I think we could Garen Thomas could win the Tour de France still. He could. It's I mean, entirely it wouldn't possible. Be, it wouldn't be that on odd. A yeah. Low speed collision. <laughs> <laughs> it's entirely possible. It would be weird, and it would be uh, kind of kind of disappointing. Uh, but it's it's entirely. But I I think yeah, second for him is is very feasible, which would be a fantastic ride for Thomas. And and all he has to do is is hang out and wait. No. Would you like a quick My Sable update? I would. So I did tip Matteo Jorgensen for My Sable today before the crash. I thought maybe the, the, we get more GC action on that final climb that would bring the brake back. But he's sitting just on the wrong side. Instead, we've got a fellow American. Ooh. One minute, five seconds, which I think maybe was the same time yesterday or the day Six before or something. Six seconds or seven seconds, I thought. It was this, yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was him before as well, Brandon McNulty. McNulty is himself. Um, and then him to the next the next man, second place, Chris Froome, one, min- one hour, eight minutes. Froome! Moved up four places today. I I still think that Froome's going to go for a breakaway in the next two days. So and did you see it. how long he's hung on to the GC group today? He's yeah, feeling he's good. good. He's Guess feeling good right week. now. Sepp yep. Kuss, who someone in the Velo Club tipped for Maya Sable. Is it f- uh, 44 minutes, 52 seconds? So that could, I don't know. I mean, time trial, does he lose in my Sable? No, actually, I, would, I think that he's probably a very good bet for it at this point because yeah, what will happen is he will hang on until halfway up the final, the final climb, climb yeah. the next two days, and he'll finish four or five minutes down. Mm. That'll put him to almost an hour, and then he'll lose a couple of minutes in the TT. It could be a perfect pick. He is 21st. In 13th, Nielsen Powerless, 18 minutes down. What if he just cracks hard one day and then he loses all that time and then just sails into it? He'd <laughs> have to crack pretty hard. You never know. Two hard days. Oh, 45 minutes in three days. And, and, the, and the time trial. And then drops off the back of the Champs-Élysées. <laughs> We've like seen it happen before. Powerless was gunning for top 10. and Oh, okay. I like to believe... That Nielsen Paulus will do better than your Enric Masses of the world. <laughs> He's five minutes behind Enric Mass, and Thomas Pidcock is currently the rider in tenth. And he, if he doesn't crack over these two Pyrenean stages, then that's a really good tour for him. He'll win the thing. <laughs> He'll win it. <laughs> has has Pidcock done something wrong that you're calling him by his full name? Thomas Pidcock. I think yeah, it's just my my imagined future as a secondary school teacher not come to fruition. Maybe I don't know. Thomas Pidcock, friend of the podcast, allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. One did day we we'll ever talk about that? that? Yeah, we did. Oh, we yeah, haven't we got did. to the bottom of it. I need to. I need to ask George. He hasn't boy howdyed us yet. I don't think George would tell us though. I think he prefers to keep us sort of top secret. Yeah, top secret yeah. info. Somebody yelled boy howdy in the at you paddock today. Yes, but I have no was idea it whether it was a rider or a fan or so, somebody did. So this is the second incident since uh, the parking lot in Mend. And also, and also. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and also Chris Froome gave me like one of those like, huh, like face up things today. So maybe it was from him. I had a different interaction with Philippe Gilbert today, but that's going to be for a piece at the end of the tour. <laughs> Slightly more negative interaction. Yeah. He's usually so nice. Yeah, I've had nice chats with him before, but I mean, I can, I can understand why. 
My They're getting bad. a little testy at this Johnny point. Johnny Long with his classic gotcha journalism. I think the thing is maybe, but I think also he did mistake me for someone else. I don't know who, but that's just the theory I'm going with. <laughs> All right. It's time for us to wrap up tonight. Before we do, we're going to head back to 1910 when the Peloton first went to the Pyrenees with Jose Bain. So here's Jose. On this short stage of only 129.7 kilometers, the riders face four climbs. And the first is the Col d'Aspin, which is a regular feature on the race route. The first time was in 1910. It was the first time the Tour de France went into the high mountains since the first edition seven years before. The assistant to race director Henri de Grange traveled to the Pyrenees in January to see if the roads were rideable. The locals laughed at Alphonse Stennis, his name, when he rented a car and drove up the Col du Tourmalet. He got stuck in the snow, continued on foot in four metres high snow walls and had to be rescued off the mountains in the middle of the night. Yet, he sent a telegram to Desgranges in Paris that read, Cross Tourmalet, stop. Very good road, stop. Perfectly passable, stop. Signed, Stennis, stop. So... In 1910, the Tour de France went to the Pyrenees and up the Col d'Aspin, the Pyrésourde, the Tourmalet, the Soulor, the Col des Tortes and the Obisque. In one day. Octave Lopis was new to cycling, but already made a name for himself in his first pro season with a win in Paris-Roubaix, a race he would win three years in a row. The 1910 season was only his second year as a pro, but he was already considered a serious rival to François Faber the Luxembourg rider who won in 1909. The the two were now teammates at the Alcyon team and 1910 would become a great battle between the French and Luxembourg rider. In the first ever Pyrenees mountain stage, Faber wore the yellow jersey, but Octave Lapis flew up the Aspin and kept going until the final climb of the day. On the mighty Col de Bisque that features this year on Thursday, Lapis was overtaken by a local rider who took 15 minutes on him, but after a super fast descent, and mind you, there was no tarmac, although the roads had improved slightly since Stenes' midwinter expedition, Lapis made up those 15 minutes. After a stage of 326 kilometers, he beat Pierino Albini in a sprint. Lapis took 10 minutes on François Faber, his direct rival. Faber had run into a stray dog a few days before the stage in the Pyrenees and was struggling from the injuries caused by that crash. Crashing into animals was a common thing apparently because earlier that Tour de France, in the stage around Roubaix, Lapis had run into a cow on the road. But Lapis came away unscathed. There's no news on the cow's well-being though. But a few days after his heroic win in the Pyrenees, but still in second place in the overall classification, Lapis managed to take another 11 minutes back on Faber in a 391-kilometer stage to Brest. Lapis took over the yellow jersey, which he brought to Paris that year. It will be the only Tour de France Lapis would ever win, because in the First World War he volunteered for the French army and joined the Air Force. At the beginning of the war, planes were used for reconnaissance, but one Roland Garros, yes, that one, figured out how to mount a machine gun on a plane without shooting your own propellers to bits. After years of training, Lapis wanted to go to the front. 
He knew the dangers and had already drafted his last will and testament for his wife and young daughter, Yvonne. On the 14th of July 1917, Bastille Day, his plane was shot down by four German planes. He was rushed to hospital but succumbed to his injuries a few days later, just 29 years old. François Weber also died in the First World War. He was part of the French Foreign Legion and was shot in 1915 while trying to bring a wounded comrade to safety. All right, gentlemen. We're going to be uh we're going to be back tomorrow. I think we're going to take the gondola to the top tomorrow. It's kind of a logistically difficult day, but we think we can figure it out. I'm glad you've chosen the uh, the path for us that involves less writing and team buses and more getting gondolas. <laughs> It'll be fun. It's a popular choice. Um, I have bad news for you, though. It's no. an hour and a half drive to the start. Uh, From here? Saint-Gaudens is not, as they say in French, la porte à côté, the uh, next door. Uh, that's tough. We skip the start. <laughs> I don't know why you're whispering, because you're the one who makes the decisions. That's the sort of thing I would whisper to Ian. <laughs> yeah, but skipping the start doesn't put you any closer. Right. It just gets you there early. And if you're just in the press room, finish earlier. If you're in the press room early, it just feels like you're way ahead on the day, even though you're not. Yeah. I you mean, know? the listeners don't really need to listen to, to us discussing I think logistical <laughs> options for tomorrow. But maybe we could get them to vote. Should we put a little vote up on the uh, on the Velo Club? I don't and know they if they have enough context around. <laughs> yeah, I maybe. like the randomness of it. That's true. That's true. We just have to go with it. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it was hot, and you decided to just go for it. <laughs> All right. We're going to call it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. A uh, bit of everything tonight. Some tactical analysis and some bants and all sorts of stuff. We will be back again tomorrow from... What climb are we going up? Perigude. Perigude. The third, the third <laughs> outer port, airport runway thing. Uh, we've cracked. We've cracked, people. It's been too hot. Uh, we'll be back from Perigude tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.